Well, in our last talk this afternoon, uh, we are going to think about how to cultivate biblical friendships through the lens of one of the greatest friendship stories recorded in the Bible. And that is the story of Jonathan and David. And so we didn't have time to read it in its entirety today as the chronicle of their friendship actually spans across two books in the Bible, across 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. But I would encourage you to read it in its entirety when you get home later today or sometime throughout the week. The story of Jonathan and David's friendship takes place in the midst of royal jealousy, violence and manipulation. If it wasn't in the Bible, you would not be remiss to think that it was the plot line of a soap opera. Probably the bold and the beautiful, if I was going to pick one. Jonathan and David's friendship faces great trials and tribulations. Jonathan's father, King Saul, tries to kill Jonathan's closest friend no less than eight times. Jonathan saves David's life twice. Saul stopped trusting his son, Jonathan. And David had to run away and hide in the wilderness. Their friendship was greatly threatened, and yet their friendship stood firm. It stood firm right up until when they were separated by death. And their friendship affected how David lived out the rest of his life. In Jonathan, we see a friend who is close. He knew David deeply. We see a friend who is constant. He stood by his friend when both their lives were under threat. We see a friend who is candid. He told David hard truths. And we see a friend who is careful. In his words, he encouraged his friend by reminding him of God's great promises. He is a friend who loves, is sacrificial, and is outward looking. He is a friend who has his eye fixed on God's promised king. You want a friend like Jonathan standing with you in your life. You know you will, he will have your back. Jonathan is a fearless, loyal friend. And in David, we see a friend who loves is true to his word and grieves greatly when he hears about the death of his brother, Jonathan. Now, I hope our lives are not as dramatic and our friendships are not as dramatic as those of David and Jonathan, but their friendship leads me to ponder, how do we cultivate friendships like this? How do we overcome things that threaten friendship? And so, as we think through today cultivating and maintaining friendships, you'll probably have one of four reactions. The first one, you may be exhausted. It's all too much. You may be overwhelmed. How can I possibly live up to this? You may feel deflated. It's so hard that I'm not even going to bother. Or you may be feeling gung-ho, ready to go, and you're going to go make 10 friends today. I don't know. Uh, but as we think through cultivating friendship, I hope that we'll remember that we are not alone. We are not Jesus. We will never be the perfect friend. We can't be because it's only Jesus who can be and is the perfect friend. And being a friend this side of heaven isn't easy because Jesus is the only one who can fulfill all the marks of friendship perfectly. So please don't give up or despair. Uh, and just remember that because we have Jesus as our model of friendship, there is grace in friendship and there is forgiveness in friendship.
So let's have a think through how do we cultivate friendship? So point one on your outline. And there are so many things, like this session is actually going to be immensely practical, so hopefully it'll be helpful. And there are so many things that we could discuss in how do we build friendships, cultivate friendships, but I think they generally fall into three categories of actions or ideas. And these categories are A, take initiative, B, be open, and C, name your friends. So A, take initiative, B, be open, and C, name your friends. So firstly, taking initiative. When I look back on some of my friendships, it's easy to think that friendship just happens, that sometimes it can feel like we've just fallen into our friendship. And this may have been the case when we were at primary school or high school. Friendship just seemed to happen. You met someone on the playground, they were your BFF for the next six years, or until you had to move or whatever. Uh, but as I've sat down and thought through my friendships as an adult, I've remembered and been reminded that friendships started because someone took the initiative. Some of my friendships, this is all gonna be very embarrassing for me, but one of my closest friendships started because I invited her to my house uh, over the Easter weekend when we were at college because she was from Perth and didn't know anyone in Sydney, so would have been spending the long week alone in her residence. And we laugh about this now, but apparently at the time when I asked her, I was actually, I said sorry about 10 times. I was really awkward and I was like, sorry if this is awkward, but if you would like to come to my house this Easter, you don't have to, it's okay. And apparently that went on for about three minutes and she ended up coming. So it was all good and now we are friends. Um, and, but it seems silly or redundant to remind ourselves, but we need to remember that to have friends, we have to take the initiative. We have to open ourselves up to awkwardness. We have to make ourselves vulnerable. And so sometimes in my friendships, I've taken the initiative. In others, it was the other person. And I'm so thankful that they took the initiative and said hello. My life is richer because they took the initiative and they chose to be vulnerable. So to cultivate friendships in the first place, we have to walk towards another person. For Jonathan and David to realize that they loved each other as their own soul, one of them needed to go up to the other and at least say hello. And Jonathan consistently took the initiative with his friend. It was Jonathan's initiative and counsel that saved David's life on more than one occasion. So to cultivate friendships, we need to take the initiatives. And secondly, to cultivate friendships, we need to be open. And there's a few ways that we can be open. I think the first one is, which I've touched on briefly, is open your mouth and then your heart. So that all the friendships I've mentioned today grew not only because my friends took the initiative, and we, but because we started to talk. We started to share the stories of our lives to date. Friendships grow when we talk. How do we know God in the first instance? We know God because he is a God who speaks. And we are created in his image. And one of the main ways we know each other is through conversation. God reveals himself through revelation and we reveal ourselves to each other 
through revelation. And friends not only talk, but they talk openly. Friends grow when we ask thoughtful and personal questions. And so, how can you use your conversations to cultivate friendship? I think one of the best ways, and we often forget this, one of the best ways to get to know someone is to ask them to share their story about how they met Jesus. Or, if you're on your way to meet with someone and you're in the car, maybe stop and think about what is one thing you want to ask them? What is one thing you want to find out about them? Or what, is an, or what is one way you can encourage them? And it's not always easy to meet face-to-face. So I like to use my long car trips, which really aren't long. My commute to work is eight minutes. But, <laughs> sorry for people who it's longer. Um, but for in eight minutes, who could you call in the car to say hello quickly? Who could, if you have a longer commute, who could you call on a regular basis while you're in the car to catch up and have a chat? And another suggestion, uh, have a few friends in your speed dial. Uh, My phone has a favorite section, uh, and if you were to unlock my phone today, you would figure out pretty quickly who my closest friends are, uh, because I have their name in a list, so if I ever have a spare moment, I can hit straight away and we can have a chat. Or another thing you might like to do is set aside time each week or fortnight or whenever works for you to meet with them or call them. As I mentioned, I'll just say who it is, Annabelle, Nixie and I have spoken once a week, every week since we left college. Uh, and it's one of the highlights of my week and the guilt we feel when we miss it. Uh, but we, she, it was actually her who took the initiative at the end of college and said, how are we gonna keep this friendship going? And I was like, let's speak every week and we have, we've laughed, we've cried, and it's also how I get to chat with my goddaughter every week, so it's very sneaky. But Jonathan and David talked. They talked about God's plans for their lives, they talked about how to be faithful, and they encouraged each other. They opened up their mouths and their hearts, and that's how they cultivated their friendship. Secondly, when we're thinking about being open, open your home. When Lachlan and I got married last year, we actually had eight little people walk down the aisle in the bridal party. My mum was freaking out because she was like, how do you get eight children down the aisle? One of them was 18 months old. And then other people were like, wow, that is a lot of kids. Why do you have so many? And the answer was, they were all our godchildren. And they were our godchildren because their parents had over the years opened their hearts and their homes to us. Over countless meals, over countless years, we had lowered our defenses and we'd had deep conversations. We'd rejoiced together and we had wept together. And so I think opening up your home and sharing a meal with someone is one of the greatest ways to cultivate friendship. It's an opportunity to hear each other's stories about how you came to know Jesus. And throughout the Bible, meals play an important role in the lives of God's people. There are meals for celebrations, for remembrance. Jonathan and David shared many meals together as they lived and served in the palace. And heaven is described as one big banquet with people from all nations. These meals facilitate encouraging conversations and help us point each other to Jesus. And opening your home can be scary. 
It doesn't need to be Martha Stewart calibre hospitality. Uh, I can't cook. I have one cookbook. It's Donna Hay. If you ever come to my house, you'll have one of three recipes. I actually haven't cooked a meal since we got pregnant. So, you know, that's very exciting. So Lachlan will cook for you. But anyway, um, one of, it doesn't have to be Martha Stewart. Some of my fondest memories with friends have been around a takeaway pizza surrounded by piles of clothes to be folded. There is no pretense. This is genuine friendship, warts and all. And please don't hear me saying that you can only do hospitality in your home. For some of us, doing hospitality in your home is not an option for good and valid reasons. So I think going out for dinner is also fantastic. Do hospitality in a way that is appropriate to your lifestyle. But the big point is, friends eat together. So how can you open up your home to allow friendships to grow? Some practical potential ideas. Uh, As you leave church on Sunday tomorrow, invite someone around for lunch. Ask them what they found encouraging about the sermon or church in general. Or you might want to keep one evening a week free to have someone over for dinner. Someone I know, they're a family of six, so two adults, four children, and every Tuesday night is open house night. So the, friend, the children are encouraged to invite friends from uni, friends from school, they cook a big meal, so every Tuesday they know that they can invite friends over for dinner. And another good thing to do, if you can, is have dinner as part of your community group. So how do we cultivate friendships? We need to open our mouths, open our hearts, and open our homes. And finally, we need to open up our lives. All my childhood, I went to eight schools, all of my childhood, I wanted to be part of a gang. And we moved around too often, then it never actually happened. And I used to love watching movies like The Sandlot Kids or The Mighty Ducks, which was about rollerblading and ice skating. I wanted to be part of a gang. And it wasn't until I was in my late 20s that I finally made it. And like all gangs, we have a silly name. We are called the Paddle Pop Gang. And as a gang, each year we go to the cricket in Adelaide together. It's effectively an excuse for us to get together, to hang and to talk while we're pretending to do something, which is watching the cricket. So friendship is cultivated by doing things together. So this can be anything from meeting for a coffee once a week, going on walks around your neighbourhood, to knitting quilts for homeless people, or whatever it is you like to do together. Doing things together can help set up the rhythms for your friendships. It forces you to think through, when will you see each other? It forces you to make time to put your friends in your calendar. And so we're all busy. How can we open our already busy and full lives? How are we going to make times for friends? Well, I think firstly, we can build friendship into what we're already doing. Uh, If you're watching a movie or a TV show, invite a friend to watch it with you. Uh, My university friends, this is tragic, they started watching uh, Grey's Anatomy together when we were at university. They're still meeting for Grey's Anatomy and waffles, like 12 years later. Um, Or if you want to read a book, read a book with a friend and arrange a time to discuss what you've been reading. Or, if you're a parent with young children at home, invite someone to join you on a walk or to go to the park. Some other suggestions for cultivating friendships. If you're married, 
Plan with your spouse how you can help each other make time for your friends. Encourage each other to go out with your friends, to put it in your diary, and don't begrudge your spouse when they are out with their friends. I think another great way is to serve together. As Christians, one of the best way to cultivate friendships is serving together, serving God and his people. And I'm sure if I stopped right now and asked you to put your hands up of a story that you have about how you became, some, became friends with someone through serving together, we could probably be here for quite a while. So serve together. It's one of the best ways to cultivate a friendship. And finally, read the Bible together. Introduce Bible reading into your friendship. And so I think the best advice for cultivating friendships is not to find a better friend, but to become one. And we do this by taking the initiative, opening up our mouths, our hearts, our homes, and our lives. And finally, when it comes to cultivating friendships, point C, name your friends. One of the most helpful exercises, I think, in cultivating friendships is to know who your friends are. Name your friends. It's hard to know how to build a friendship if you don't know who the people you need to work with are. So can I encourage you sometime this week to get out a piece of paper or your phone or your laptop or your iPad or whatever device you use and write down the names of your friends. When we name our friends, we can see that we do have friends. We can see that we may need to put some effort into certain friendships. We may need to reassess some friendships. Or we maybe need to free ourselves up to pursue some, pursue some new friendships. And naming our friends also allows us to pray for our friends. We can pray for them and we can also thank God for them. And we can let them know what we are thankful to God for them. And this is my personal rebuke. Every time I do this talk, I get to this bit and I realise that I don't pray regularly enough for my friends. And so this is always something I'm endeavouring to do more and more in the future. But my husband, he is fantastic at this. He has the PrayerMate app and every day he sits down with a list of friends in different categories, acquaintances. He prays for them. He messages them and says, I've prayed for you this morning. How can I be praying for you? Uh, and it's just a fantastic way to build each other up. And he does really enjoy it when he texts the parents of our godparents and they send back photos of the godchildren. And then he comes home and rubs it in that he got photos and I didn't. We're working through that. But <laughs> prayer mate is a great way to pray for your friends. And so in this rebuke, I need to be more like David. When we read David's eulogy for Jonathan in 2 Samuel 1, it can break our hearts. David named his friend. He thanked God for him and said publicly what he liked about him. And this is what he said. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of a woman. So, name your friends and thank God for them. So, cultivating friendship involves taking the initiative, 
opening your mouth, your heart, your home, your life, and naming those who you are privileged enough to call a friend. And so from this brief look at cultivating friendships, it's interesting to note that a big part of making friends is about being proactive. And so Drew Hunter in uh, Made for Friendship, which is on the bookstore, he has a great illustration about cultivating friendship. He says that cultivating friendship is like building a railway line. You have to think through what are the rails that your friendships will ride along as we go through life in a broken world? What are the things, the parameters, that your friendship will travel along through life's hardships and good times? So for Lachlan, it's his Premate app. For Annabelle and I, it's our weekly chats. These are the friendship rails through which our friendship goes up and down, joys, we share the joys, we pray for each other. And I need to, rate, like, I need to lay down the friendship rails to pray more for and with my friends. So what are the rails, the things that you need to put in place that will allow your friendships to start, to grow and to thrive? And as much as we talk about the art of cultivating friendship or making friendships, it's also important to know that there are some threats to friendship. And so how do we overcome these threats? So at point two on your outlines, threats to friendship. And we've only briefly scratched the surface of ways to cultivate biblical friendship. But thinking through, we'll think through now, threats to these friendships. And threats to our friendships are slightly different to those of Jonathan and David. Uh, I hope no one is constantly trying to kill your friend by throwing a spear at their head or sending you off to war so that you might accidentally die. The threats that we face may not be as dramatic, but they are no less real. And I've had to pick two, and I think in our modern era, the two greatest threats to friendship are social media and false expectations. So firstly, social media. I don't know what your relationship with social media is like. Mine seems to fluctuate from really loving it and enjoying it to despising it and absolutely feeling physically ill every time I look at it. Uh, there was one time when I was looking at Facebook and I was actually feeling physically ill. So full disclosure, I have deleted Facebook and Instagram from my phone. Uh, but there are lots of good things about social media. It's an easy way to connect with people, to organize events, share hilarious videos of cats. Sorry, Carol. But social media becomes a threat to friendship when we think it is friendship. It is a threat to th friendship when we think that liking a post or poking someone or stalking them is being a friend. Interacting with someone on social media can become a substitute for meeting with someone face-to-face -face or over the phone or in real life. In some ways, it's like a friendship substitute. And it's a bit like the difference between sugar and fake sugar, stevia. When we eat stevia, we think we are eating the real deal, but it's not quite the same. Social media can make us think we are experiencing real friendship, but it is not quite the same because on social media, we don't have to be vulnerable. We don't have to go deep. 
We can hide behind our online persona. On social media, it's easy just to bob along the surface. So social media, in some instances, and probably most instances, can be a shallow imitation of the real thing. And social media can also be a threat to friendship, as it's a time black hole. How often have you found yourself thinking, I'll just check Instagram, and then you look and realize that 10 minutes has passed by and you have no idea what you've done with your time? Spending too much time on social media can mean we don't have time to meet with people face-to-face -face or pick up the phone. And so there are so many other things we can say about social media, both the good and the bad and the effect that they're having on us. But I just wanted to stop and acknowledge today that social media can be a threat to friendship. We shouldn't fool ourselves that our relationships online are the same thing as friendship. And so to overcome the threat of social media to our relationships, we need to make sure that we're not using it as a substitute for putting in the hard work of cultivating friendships. And if you want to think a bit more about this, uh, can I recommend two books to you, uh, which I haven't written down anywhere, uh, but they are 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You by Tony Renke and Will You Be My Facebook Friend by Tim Chester. So if you want the names of those books, I can give them to you later. So the first threat to, so, uh, to friendship in our current age is social media. The second is false expectations. Having false expectations of yourself as a friend or of your friends is a threat to having biblical friendships. False expectations can stop a friendship before it even begins and strangle a friendly friendship so tightly that it chokes and ends. And two expectations that I think we need to be aware of are firstly, ex expectations about the number of friends that we can have. We are all human. We are all limited by our capacities and our abilities. And we are limited in our time. And so I argued earlier that we can't be friends with everyone and we shouldn't be friends. Well, we can't be friends with anyone. So we need to be realistic about how many friends and how many close friends you can actually have. Jesus traveled around with 12 friends. And of those friends, he was even closer with three with Peter, James, and John. So I think we can say that Jesus had some sort of tier of friendship. So he had his close friends, next close friends, down, 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 down we go. A top tier friend, being a top tier friend with everyone could lead to your complete destruction. You can't be that close, candid, constant, and careful with everyone all the time. So we need to have expectations and healthy expectations about the number of friends we can have. And secondly, we need to have right expectations about friendships over time. We can't expect that friendships will stay the same. Unlike in marriage, in friendships, we don't make promises to be together forever. We might make bracelets when we were six, but then we sometimes grow up. Jonathan and David didn't make a covenant about their friendship. There was a covenant about Jonathan serving David when he became king. So there was no covenant about their friendship. And as sad as it is, friendships will change. Friends may move away, 
friends may pass away. And as much as we must try to cultivate and build good friendships, we need to remember that friendships don't always stay the same. And that's okay. Sometimes God blesses us with particular friends at particular times to meet particular needs. So in thinking about friendship, we can't set unrealistic expectations of ourselves in relation to being a friend, and we can't set unrealistic expectations of our friends. And we must keep reminding ourselves that our friends aren't Jesus, and we aren't either. So the two biggest threats to friendship in the modern age, social media and false expectations. And we're at point three on your outline. Is it worth it? How is your head? How are you feeling? Are you sitting there thinking this whole friendship thing is really a lot of work and I'm just not sure it's worth it? But let's remember that biblical friendship is about people bound together by their common faith in Jesus who are intentional and vulnerable. These people are pursuing Christ and his kingdom by pointing non-believers to him and helping believers to grow in their love of him. If this is true about friendship, if friendship is pointing non-believers to Jesus and helping believers to grow in their love of knowledge of him, then it is worth it. It is worth it because friendship is a great gift that is God has given to us in his mercy to bear fruit for his kingdom. And there are so many examples throughout history of why it is worth cultivating biblical friendship. And I just wanted to share a few with you. So going all the way back to the fourth century, people like Gregory of Nicaea and Basil of Caesarea, their friendship was so deep and so Christ-centered that Gregory would say, if anyone were to ask me, what is the best thing in life? I would answer, friends. John Calvin, friendship played a pivotal role in the Reformation. Calvin noted that his fr- it was his friends that encouraged him, encouraged him, who sharpened him and helped him to keep his eyes on Jesus. And at a personal level, I don't think I'd be in ministry today if it wasn't for the counsel and encouragement of my friends. But I want to close today by sharing, you, sharing with you the story of Esther Edwards Burr. If you're a fan of Hamilton the musical, you'll recognise the last name. Uh, Esther was the mother of one of the main characters, Aaron Burr, who goes on to kill the protagonist in the musical. Not giving any spoilers away, it's history. Uh, but that's who she is. Uh, Esther's husband, Aaron Burr Sr., was the second president of Princeton University in the States. States. And when she was a young mother of two small children, she earnestly sought to know the presence of God in the craziness of her daily life with a busy husband and two small children. And through a collection of hundreds of letters, we learn that she began to appreciate that friends were a divine gift in her walk with the Lord. While she cherished her quiet, daily quiet time with God, she realized that it was friends and her conversation with them that was vital to her spiritual growth. She wrote in 1755, I should highly value, as you, my dear, do, such charming friends as you have about you, friends that one might unbosom their whole soul to. I esteem religious conversation of the best helps to keep up religion in the soul, accepting secret devotion, 
I don't know, but the very best. Then what a lamentable thing tis so neglected by God's own children. Esther learnt that it was conversation and time with her Christian's friends that spurred her on in her love and knowledge of Jesus. It was through her friendships that she found the strength and encouragement for living her life as a believer. So what a great and precious gift God has given us as we live our lives in this broken world. And we should heed Esther's warning not to neglect this gift that God has given us, his children, his friends. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of friends. Thank you that you have given us this great gift, your children, your friends, to build one another up in our love and knowledge of you. As we try and build friendships, we pray that you will help us to take initiative, to be open, to be thankful for your friends. And we just ask as well that you will help us to persevere when the notion of friendship or building friendship or maintaining friendships seems too hard, we ask that you will help us and give us strength and wisdom to do so. And for those of us who are lonely or don't know where to start, please provide, with us, please provide us with friends so that we may point them to you and they to us. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.